Welcome to the HR Stories Podcast, listener question edition, where there is a lesson in every story. Each week, the team at HR Stories Podcast shares questions from our podcast audience and provides tangible, practical advice that everyone can use to get HR right. Our hosts today are management and HR consultants, Chuck Simikian and John Tallheimer. What is on your mind today? Welcome to the HR Stories Podcast, where there is a lesson in every story. Today is our question and answer segment or episode. We're excited to be here. We got a bunch of good questions today. Should we just dive in? What do you want to do? How do you want to handle this? Yeah, John, let's dive in. Um, I can I can ask the first question and we could talk about it. And I'd love for you to do the second question because this is a listener that actually emailed us and you interacted with with him. And I thought it was an excellent, uh, it was it was an interesting question that he reached out to us for number two. But let's start with number one, Tracy from Michigan. And uh, she says, hey, we're updating our travel policy. Does your company do anything to comp exempt employees if they travel uh, or work on weekends or holidays? Also, if they travel uh, home on a work day, however, they get to town with four hours of workday left. Do you have them go into the office or take the rest of the day off? So I think she was just benchmarking to see what other people are doing. Um, what have you seen out there in your world that you've worked in in your businesses? And I'll share what I've seen. Yeah, well, let's applaud, right? Let's applaud Tracy, right? Because she is updating the tra the travel policy. Always a good thing to go back, look at your policies, go through them, make sure they are working for you, make sure they're up to date within federal law, make sure they're up to date with local law uh, and state law as well. So that's good, right? And so when we think about this, right? So when we have an exempt employee, an exempt employee is a person that doesn't get paid overtime. So there is an expectation that then maybe they're going to work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours in there. Um, and so typically my reaction is they're an exempt employee. They're going to get paid uh, that same amount of salary. We're going to give them that amount of salary. So I'm not necessarily going to give them additional time off. But there have been occasions where special project and they worked really hard through the weekend i'd be like look take monday and tuesday off you deserve it right not necessarily comp time but just you know kind of as to overcome do that and kind of take that on and then terms of hey they traveled they're coming back to work on a friday it really depends on the situation but mm -hmm. for me i'm going to focus on are they getting their job done? Are they getting their results done, right? And so if right. they were at a conference all week and they have follow-up emails they need to get out, I'm not gonna require them to work. I'm gonna require them to meet the re responsibilities of the job, right? So that's kind of the way I look at it. Exempt employees, is about responsibility of the job. They need to do it. Um, and if they are working a lot of hours, I am more like, well, I wanna give them a break, right? If they're working two weeks in a row, I wanna give them a break. Um, so I'm going to try to put that in there. But if they work a lot of hours one week, I'm going to give them a little bonus. I'm going to say, hey, yeah. thanks for doing that. Here's your bonus. So I don't, what, what have you heard, Chuck? What do you, what do you yeah. do normally well, first, in that case? Yeah. 
I think it'd be goofy to have someone show up with three or four hours and exempt employee. Like you said, uh, if they, they feel they need to show up and, and finish up something, can they work from home? The other thing, what we forget about travel is, uh, you know, it, they get, they got, they were out of town. They got up, they drove, they took an Uber, they had to return the rental car. They had to be at the airport two hours early. I mean, let's factor some of these things in that they might've been up since if it's a nine to five type of job, they may've been up and and on the road for, you know, 7am since 6.30, 7am. So add those two hours and now you're looking like two hours. So I think it's goofy when you start micromanaging folks like that. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever your culture bears, your culture bears. Uh, I will tell you that, uh, in a seven day a week operation where we have people that work on holidays, uh, for hourly employees, we, we, we just pay them, you know, eight hours of pay. So you worked on Christmas day. Not only do you get paid your regular, but we're going to pay you a, a holiday. It's going to layer on top. It's an extra eight hours of pay. Doesn't, it's not, doesn't accrue towards overtime. It's just, Hey. Here's a gift of, of extra pay. Uh, for salaried exempt employees, we give them an extra day that they can use within 30 days. And that's nothing we keep track of in any of the HR systems. It's usually a agreement between the manager and that uh, director or the director of VP to say, okay, this is the day. I'm going to use my Christmas holiday this day. I'm going to use my Thanksgiving holiday this day. I'm using my Martin Luther King holiday. And that's usually how we've We've worked that. Yeah. Yeah. We used to do that. We worked, I worked in a 24 seven. And, and if it was a manager had to work on a holiday, they would just take another day off that week. Right. And yeah. so that would all just balance out. Right. So it was easier to kind of keep track versus waiting for 30 days, but either way will work. I just kind of want yeah. to do that. So, and if they are working or traveling on weekends, you know, I mean, look, if you want to let, I, I it is, part of the job, I guess people do that. They have to leave on a Sunday night to be at a conference on Monday. I don't think you need to be like telling people, oh, so now you can have some some comp time since you kind of traveled on Sunday. And geez, we could talk a lot about travel pay with hourlies too. Uh, yeah. But, you know, with salaried employees, you know, it, it is it is what it is. But if you want to be nice and say, hey, come in later on Friday or something like that, sleep in, that's all within your parameters. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Question yeah. two, John. Question two. Okay. Uh, oh. Yeah. This is uh Len, longtime listener. I, we were very excited when he said that. Hey, I'm a longtime listener. Uh, first time caller, longtime listener. <laughs> and he says he's going through a situation uh, where he owns a small company and recently went through divorce. As part of the settlement agreement, his ex-wife was required to work for the company for a period of six years to prevent her from starting a competing business. So that's kind of a little difficult, but six years, okay. Um, but just six months into the agreement, she offered to buy the company from me. I declined. Uh, and he's, I guess there were some family, other family that owned the company. So, uh, to his surprise, the ex-wife resigned from the company and is now claiming constructive discharge. Meanwhile, she has also purchased my competitor's business, which has caused significant damage to my own business. My question for you is, have you ever heard of constructive discharge cases that an 
involved an ex-wife. And I think uh, you answered this, but I think one of the concern, not concerns, the factors here is what exactly is constructive discharge and does that even apply in this situation? Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I just want to say, uh, Len and I did have a conversation offline. Uh, and I asked, hey, can we share your question on air? And he said, yeah, fine, share it on air. So uh, we're not giving any dirty laundry secrets away here. Um, and so let's start, right? Let's start with what is constructive discharge? We talk about this on our podcast a lot. Uh, it's one of Chuck's favorite pet stories. Um, and so I'm going to quote here from the Department of Labor. When a worker's resignation or retirement may be found not to be voluntary because the employer has created a hostile or intolerable work environment or has applied other forms of pressure or coercion that forces that employee to quit or resign. This often arises when an employee makes significant or severe changes in the terms and condition of the workplace employment. What constitutes a constructive discharge is usually defined in state law and varies from state to state, right? And so again, that's the Department of Labor's definition. So when we look at this, right, we have to think about was a um, was the culture such we were creating a constructive discharge? Did Len's ex-wife feel that it was a hostile or intolerable work environment because of what was going on? Yeah. Right? And so it's it's kind of tough, right? And so the, the burden of proof is going to be on her to go present to the lawyers, present to everyone. Here's why I was in constructive discharge. Here's what's going on. Um, and I think that there is a lot of complications layered on top of this that we can't get into because there's divorce and there's business law. Um, but in terms of constructive discharge, it really depends on how the wife was treated or ex-wife was treated during the time that she was there for those six months. Any thoughts, Chuck? Yeah. So with the uh, constructive discharge, I think you hit it. You hit the nail right on the head. And uh, there's really not much more to say. It it really doesn't apply here, and that's that's the that's the situation. He may have some other issues. He may have some other things going on, and I don't know why she, you know, where she's complained on constructive discharge. Is she actually filing a lawsuit? Uh, but I think that there may be other things in play here, but it's not going to be constructive discharge. It may be though, right? I mean, again, if she felt that the work environment, oh, right? Yes. We don't know. We don't know what Len or his family members said to her. Did they exclude her from meetings? Did they not give her information she needed to do her job? Yeah, possibly, right? We don't know, right? And we so again, right. um, I think it could be constructive discharge. I wouldn't dismiss it as handedly as that, but um, I think it's it's it just it's all tied into this right it's no. all tied into this um and i'll just leave it at that no you know what you're right you brought you you've brought me into the light on that one so okay. <laughs> thank you yeah folks that was a yeah he's right there's more info needed but it could yeah. be so cool um we got a final question here question three donald from florida so this is something i'm dealing with every day at my current uh role 
and I'm with some other clients that I have. It's the E-Verify thing. So Donna from Florida, our private startup company was never E-Verified. In other words, the employees, they weren't using E-Verify. Uh, we were acquired last month by a large public company. Their HR mentioned that we have inconsistencies in uh, in our I-9s and we will need to redo them. So she advised getting E-Verified. But if we start redoing all I-9s uh, in E-Verify, there should be a reason for doing that. The system might ask, uh, what would you advise moving forward? Uh, we currently have sales teams distributed in 15 states. I know this is from our HR team of one community. And I saw you answered this, John, and you were pretty spot on. So I was wondering if you wanted to recreate your answer uh, in this situation. That's right. Just throw me under the bus, Chuck. <laughs> hey, you've answered this before, John. That's right. All right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, right, when I hear that there's been a merger or acquisition, my question is, is there a new federal employment identification number? Is there a new company, right? Or is this now become, is this company being morphed into the larger public companies FEIN? Sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes the FI, the federal employee identification number stays the same. They're, 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 they're over here by themselves and they're part of the public company, but they're still a company that's run by themselves, right? They're in there. Um, but if they do have a new federal employment information number, and Chuck, you just went through this down there at the resort, mm -hmm. every single employee needs to go through the I-9 process again, right? Yeah. So if there's a new number, right, if you're now working for a new company, that means they need a new FEIN. And as Chuck knows, um, that can be caused some craziness in terms of the employees. Do they have documentation? Do they not have documentation? Boom, right? So that's the first thing that I really want to look yeah. at and go, all right, is do that there. And then I want to look at, all right, so it says there's inconsistencies in their I-9. So you know what that means to me is there needs to be an audit done, right? So now we need to audit all of our I-9s and see where those inconsistencies are. My assumption is the public company sent somebody in as an HR representative and they did an audit. That information yeah. needs to be shared with this person, Donald, to say, hey, Donald, we did all this stuff. Um, here's what we noticed, right? And so then Donald can then go correct them as we would do any normal I-9 audit. We'd go back and correct them and make sure they're consistency. All right. So finally, right now we start thinking about E-Verify. And so we haven't been doing E-Verify. Public company wants us to use E-Verify. And so that's fine. You can say on January 1st, 2024, when we were acquired by this new company, they wanted us to do E-Verify. Going forward, we're using E-Verify. I mm -hmm. would not go back and do E-Verify for the employees that are already there. Yeah, That's just me. I wouldn't go back and do that in there. I would just not handle it, right? And so then I would just do it, right? So I would get, it takes about 15 minutes to enroll in E-Verify. There's some benefits to that. Um, I would do that. Now, yeah. the other thing that I will say, because there's something kind of threw this in at the end, we currently have our sales team distributed in 15 states. So here's my question. Are you in one of those states that requires you to do E-Verify for your employees? 
I'm going to try to do these off the top of my head, Chuck. Are you ready? Wow. Okay. All right. All right. I think I got them. Utah, Arizona, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, and your home state of Florida as of last year, June 12th or something. Yeah, something um, like that. Has done that in there. I think that's all of them. Uh, but again, right, everyone, folks, you have to look it up, make sure that I'm getting those right because that was off the top of my head. Um, but again, right, does your state require you to do e-verify? Yeah. So and, that's how and, I'd answer that question. How's that? Yeah, I, I think that's great. That's a fantastic answer. You know, we, um, I've worked in this several times where we have either, uh, I've it's merger and acquisition stuff. And when you take over a, another company, uh, you if you accept their I-9s, you accept their liability. So I've always said, box up the employee files, box up all the I-9s, give it to the old owner. And even if the old owner, you're a private startup, you, I would give it to whoever owned the company as a private startup, say, here's the boxes. We don't want these. And then start over again from scratch. Uh, that's how I've seen it in, in, in my industry. Uh, just a couple of, just last month, we took over two restaurants. Our resort took over two restaurants across the street. Uh, we were already operating them, but they were on a PEO. So separate pay system, separate uh, I, you know, separate everything, but we were managing those restaurants. Those employees were literally on a separate company. When they came on board with us, we knew I-9s, new applications, new uh, E-Verify for everyone. So yeah, I think you hit it spot on. And I, yeah, think I would just go back to occasionally, right? That company can be acquired by another company, that private startup. They're going to keep that company intact Right. So there wouldn't be anybody that the company's still intact. They're just now owned 100 percent by the private public company. Right. right. And so they're still their own company. This happened to my wife where she was working for a consulting company and um, Blackstone, the one of the biggest investors, bought them. But they were still their own company, still had their own federal employee identification number. So yeah. just kind of want to do that as well. So. Yeah. And if you're unsure, call the uh, E-Verify folks. You can actually call those folks oh, that's great. And, um, and ask them. So yeah, Let's folks, thank you for listening to the uh, team at HR Stories. This is the question and answer edition. Make sure you check out team at hrstories.com to hear all of our episodes or go to your favorite podcast player on Apple or Spotify or TuneIn or any of those um podcast players and like comment and subscribe and yeah and folks the last thing i would just want to say is make sure that you're emailing us um your your questions make sure you're emailing reaching out to us at email at team at hrstories.com um we would love to get your questions so definitely keep doing that uh, we're on social media uh we're on linkedin tiktok instagram um, anywhere you can find us, Facebook, we're there. So just go ahead and reach out to us. We want to hear your questions. We'll do our best to answer them on the next episode of the HR Stories podcast. Where there's a lesson in every story. Thank you for listening to the HR Stories podcast. The material presented in this podcast is for informational purposes only. Chuck and John always recommend using an employment lawyer or HR consultant to handle any legal concerns or HR issues. We do our best to double check sources and make sure the information we are providing is accurate. 
We may eliminate or embellish without changing the basic narrative to make the story easier to understand. In certain circumstances, we may change identifying information to protect the innocent. The HR Stories broadcast is brought to you by the team at HR Stories. The team at HR Stories is designed to help anyone with HR responsibilities be better at managing the employee experience. To engage with us, go to the hrstoriesteam.com and learn more about how the team at HR Stories can support your business or nonprofit. Thank you for listening to the HR Stories podcast, where there is a lesson in every story.